love that song? Don't you love it as you get older? More and more. Many of you remember Will and Lillian Barnett, who were members of the church here for many years, and um, they later moved to Florida, and they both died while they were in Florida. But I'll never forget when they first started coming to our church, I guess they were probably in their early 70s. And one of the first visits that I made down to their house, I remember Will was saying, he said, you know, Herbert, at your age, you don't think much about dying and going to heaven. But he said, when you get to be mine and Lil's age, you'll think about it every day. And uh, it was not a trip that they were dreading. It was a trip that they were looking forward to. That might sound a little bit silly when you're young, but I want to tell you, as you get closer to home, and that's exactly what it is. But we won't have to worry anymore. Thank God for that. This morning we're going to read again for the sixth time, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And Lord willing, we'll wrap this up next Sunday. And as I told you, I believe when we got started, I had no clue because I'd never really done a lot of study on these verses. I knew that they were there. I knew that these were monumental verses for the Hebrew people. And let me again refresh your memory. God has led them out of slavery in Egypt. They're going toward the promised land that God had promised for thousands of years that he was going to give the people. Started promising Abraham, your seed will be given a land. And folks, this is exactly what God was promising. But as they prepared to go into that land, God says, here's my instructions. If you want me to continue to bless you and and for you to fully realize the greatness of who God is and understand what he wants to do in your life, here's some instructions. And folks, it is no accident that these instructions pertain to what? To the home. And folks, you and I need to be refreshed again in our memories to understand that as the home goes, so does the nation. Folks, these were very important moments in the nation of Israel. And these freed slaves that were going toward the promised land. God never forsakes his people nor goes back on his promises. But God expects of his people. And the Old Testament people of God is represented by the church of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. So these instructions that God gave the people of Israel can be applied to you and I today as the body of believers of Christ. So I ask you not to hear these as words that were written and spoken by God to the people of Israel thousands of years ago. But these are words that God speaks to us today. So let's read them once again. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and ordinances which the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. That you may do them in the land of which you're going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
And folks, one of the themes of Vacation Bible School this week was that there's only one God and there's no other like him. And folks, again, I'm not trying to get off on a tangent or chase, uh, uh, chase a rabbit on this, but folks, what God was now telling these people was absolutely contrary to the environment that they had been in. God says, I am the only true God. And you see, they had been in Egypt for over 400 years where there was a multitude of gods. The Egyptians, the other nations, had all types of gods and goddesses. You remember last week at the end of the service, we we read out of Joshua, where Joshua says you've got to make a decision whether you're going to serve the gods which your forefathers served beyond the river or serve the Lord God. And folks, what God is saying here, there's no other God like me. And listen to verse 5. You shall love me, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand that they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write on them... Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts, okay? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for the truth in your word that you are the one true God. Thank you, Lord, that as you wanted to work in the life of Israel and for them to realize all the promises that you had made to the forefathers, Father, help us to understand that as a body of believers, as a Christian church, as individual believers and families, you've made so many promises to us. But Lord, help us to be obedient to you. Help us not only to hear the word of God, but to live it. And Father, in these moments ahead, I just pray that you'll take your word and you'll speak to our hearts and our minds. And you'll give us strength to have godly homes and be godly parents and grandparents. Father, how we pray that you'll fill our souls with your word this day. Feed us, Father, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Each Sunday we pointed out that there are seven instructions from God in this passage of Scripture to parents and grandparents. And let me again, I want to run over these quickly, okay? Number one, parents and grandparents must be teachable. That's verse one. Secondly, in verses 1, 2, 3, and 6, parents and grandparents must first obey the commands of the Lord before we can teach our children and grandchildren. Is that not right? We must be living examples of obeying God before we can teach our children to do that. Thirdly, parents and grandparents must fear the Lord your God, verse 2. Verses 3 and 4, number 4, parents, grandparents must hear the Lord. Number five, parents and grandparents must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Number six, parents and grandparents must accept the responsibility to the teachers. And number seven, for parents and grandparents, this is to be a lifelong commitment. Verse two says, all the days of your life. Well, this morning we pick up on God's instruction number four. Number four. Parents and grandparents must hear the Lord. Please notice in verse 3, Moses is told by God to say to Israel, Hear therefore, O Israel. And then in verse 4, and I hope you have your Bible open to mark these, Hear, O Israel. 
And folks, last week we, we saw that, that not only are these commands from God, and, and again, folks, I'm learning as I go in this passage of Scripture, there is, I believe, a divine spiritual formula that is laid out here. In verse 2, we fear the Lord. That leads to verses 3 and 4 where we hear from the Lord. And then in verse 5, after we fear the Lord and hear from the Lord, it leads us to love the Lord with all of our might, heart, and soul. And folks, i got to carry that a little bit farther. And, and we're going to get to this, that after all these things happen, after we fear the Lord, hear from the Lord, love the Lord, guess what we do next? We begin to teach our children and our grandchildren the principles of our faith. I've never seen that before. And folks, if we're not teaching our children our faith, maybe it's because we haven't got the formula right yet. We must fear God, hear from God, love God, and then teach our children. But folks, what does it mean here, hearing from God? Well, I think we could all give our definition. And let me just mention a couple, okay? Hearing God, I believe, is symbolic, first of all, of believing certain things about God. And one of the most important ones for us to believe is what God says in verse 4, The Lord our God is one Lord. But to hear also means more than to let something pass from our ear canal to our brain. It means to hear a message from God that fills our hearts, our minds, and then leads us not only to beliefs, but it leads us to commitment to God and action in serving Him. And folks, listen to this. These people were not to make up and create their own rules as they went along. They were to hear from God His ordinances, His statutes, His commandments, and then commit themselves to what God said. Now, haven't we got that all fouled up in our world today? God gives us divine commandments. God gives us the example of His Son, the teachings of His Son, but we continue to make up our own rules. Is that not right? It really is, folks. But remember again, all of us are sinners. We need the wisdom and guidance of the Savior and of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew eleven fifteen: He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now folks, the context of that passage of Scripture where Jesus says that, he is speaking concerning John the Baptist. But folks, I believe in those words, Jesus is giving an important principle for his followers. God gave us not only the physical capacity to hear, and most of us can hear. But folks, the problem is not with our hearing physically, but hearing spiritually. God not only gives us a physical capacity to hear, but he gives us a spiritual capacity to hear also. That means that God's words and God's commands are intended to bring us closer to God, to clearly discern his will, and God wants us to hear his words so that we can be empowered for service even to our families. Here's a side note, and I ask you to think about this. 
we can hear from God but not respond to God. God gives us the freedom to hear, but then we make the decision about whether or not we're going to respond. Correct? Listen to James chapter 1. Listen to these verses written to the church. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now, we stop right there. That's a pretty powerful statement right there, isn't it? I probably told you all this story before. You remember me telling about the old woman that was leaving church? And the church was right by an intersection. And as she came out of the church, man was sitting at the stoplight and obviously was not a believer. And he hollered out the window, is the sermon over? And she said, no. And he said, well, why are you leaving? It must be a long sermon. She said, oh, what the preacher said, it's over. But the rest of the sermon is me going out and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I imagine the man drove off, don't you reckon? Folks, let me tell you something. The sermon is not what is important. It is the Word of God. And the sermon is not over until you and I leave this place and go out and do what the Word of God says. Is what James is saying to the early church. Let me read it again. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is to hear the word and not a doer, he is like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like or was like. But he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer that forgets, but a doer that acts. Can I read that phrase again? Being no hearer that forgets, but a doer that acts, he shall be blessed in all his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, and he's just giving an example, folks, just one example, doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this man's religion is in vain. Folks, How many have heard the gospel, the good news of Christ, but not responded yet in faith? And and again, I'm not trying to belittle or criticize, folks. What I'm trying to point out is until we act upon what we hear, will it change us? And the answer to that is no. How many parents and grandparents have heard the teachings of God's word for marriage and for the family, but not yet responded? You see, if we refuse to hear spiritually and act upon what we have heard, the Word of God will judge us. Just think about this for just a second. We can hear all the sermons. We can hear all the Sunday school lessons. We can hear all the Bible studies and have all the group meetings. But until we commit ourselves to act upon what we hear, will it change us? And the answer is no. And, and again, this is, I'm not griping from the pulpit. I'm just simply saying, folks, it doesn't make any difference uh, how good the speaker is, how entertaining he is. What is so important is the Word of God. And are we obeying what God says in His Word? And if you don't think this Word is important and it's worth obeying, then we need to get a better attitude about what the Bible is all about. It is not just another book. It is not a religious book. It is God's divinely inspired word that is given for our benefit. But folks, let me read some words to you from Jesus in John chapter 12, verses 45 to 50. And 
And, and folks, again, we're going to be judged by our response to what God says to us. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, what about people who have never read the Bible, never had a preacher? God is going to reveal himself in some way. We will be judged by our response to what God has revealed to us. And I believe the nation, this nation, the United States, is going to stand under condemnation of God. Is there any other nation that has more Bibles within it than the United States? We've got it all over the place. The easiest thing to purchase is a Bible. And perhaps Satan, he's laughing at us because we've got easy access to it, but we hear it, but do we do it? And we're going to be judged by how we respond to what we have heard and responded to it. Again, I'm not trying to make this about judgment, but folks, these are serious things with God. Listen to this. Listen to what Jesus said. He who sees me sees him who sent me. I've come as light into the world that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my saying and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has a judge. Now listen to this, because this kind of smacked me right between the eyes. Listen to this. The word that I have spoken will be his judge on the last day. Do you and I realize, and I'm not talking about me standing in this pulpit. Anytime we hear the preaching of the Word of God or even the reading of the Word of God, we stand under the judgment of what that, God, that Word says. Again, I'm not trying to manipulate you or scare you today. I'm just trying to tell you what Jesus says, and he, what he says is the truth. So listen to verse 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority. The Father has sent me. The Father who has sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say is the Father has bidden me. Hear and do. So in verses 3 and 4, what does God tell through Moses the people to hear and act upon? In verse 3, Moses reminds them of all God's blessings. Moses reminds them that all the blessings that they have have come from God. God made a covenant with their forefathers that he would not break. And Moses reminds the people of God's covenant meant that they were to obey him in the new land that God was giving them. And in number four, verse four, in today's world, this verse, let me just read you some historical background, okay? And Warren Wiersbe says this, in today's world, this verse, the Lord our God is one Lord, this verse is confessed every morning and every evening by devout Jews all over the world. And this confession is so important that Jewish boys in Orthodox homes are required to memorize this verse as soon as they can speak. Did you hear that? Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. That verse is so important to them that that is one of the first things that their children are taught to say. Why was it so important? Because, you see, the nations around Israel were worshiping many gods and goddesses. But this is a statement of faith that affirmed to all that there was but one true living God. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. Jesus is this 
is the Son of God and the Holy Spirit is the outpouring of God in the hearts and minds of His children. Folks, listen. Where it says there's but one God, this God is like no other. And folks, that's something that that we must hold to again in, in our lives and in our hearts. In contrast to the many pagan gods and goddesses that the Hebrew people were facing and would be exposed to, they were to confess and serve the one true living God, and then they were to teach their children about this one true living God. Now, does this have any bearing on us as parents and grandparents today? Yes, it does. And let me point out how. I believe that Deuteronomy 6, 4 is equivalent to what Jesus said in John 14, 6. You know this verse, I hope, by heart. But look at it again. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you and I really believe that? You know, I am, I, I am just, I, I, I don't know the word to use. You know, there are people that are preaching, you can get to God in many, many ways. That's not what Jesus said. There are many different gods. That's not what God the Father said to the Hebrew people. There's only one God and He reveals Himself in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And folks, our non-believing world is demanding tolerance of all religions and political correctness would charge Christians with arrogance and bigotry and intolerance. I say, I can't even speak it. Intolerance. But God says, hear my word, obey my word, and teach your children my word that I, my son, and my spirit are the one true God. And folks, that's what God wants us to do. This is what he says here in his word. And, and folks, again, you know, I want you to know my heart. There's, a, there's, there's some things that we will not compromise. And one of those things is that there's many ways to God. There's only one way to God. And that is through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this, again, you say, well, Jesus is not mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Oh, yes, he is. Because everything in the Old Testament is in preparation for the coming of the Son of God. Everything in the New Testament looks back to the Old Testament. The way that God was preparing mankind in history to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then instruction number five. Parents and grandparents, in verse 5, must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Is this not a powerful verse of Scripture? And listen to the teachings in this verse. And let me just point some things out. Number one, to love God and to worship and serve Him is the highest privilege that we have. So when God commands us to love, He is inviting us to do what is best for us. Warren Wiersbe said that, not Herbert Brown. I want to give him credit, but let me read that again. When God commands us to love Him, He is inviting us to do what is best for us. Now why should we love God? I hope you know this verse, 1 John 4.19. Would you read this with me? We love Him because He first loved us. Folks, when we love Jesus back, it's something He's already done for us. 
Secondly, love is not simply a romantic notion or concept or feeling, but love leads to action. Loving God leads to working of God in our hearts. And let me give you some examples of this. Listen to 1 John uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. And this is a lengthy passage of Scripture. But listen to this. Because God loves us, what should we do? Listen to these verses. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and he who loves God is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, again, think about this, folks. When we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, our lives are overpowered by the love of God. And then God wants that love to so overpower us that everything that we do is qualified by His love. And we begin to love others. Verse 9, And this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the expiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his own spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he is in God. So we know and believe the love God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And this is love perfected with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. It loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is what? He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, this commandment we have from him. How does this passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy 6? These are the statutes, the ordinances, the commandments that God gave. This commandment we have from him that he who loves God should love his brother also. Folks, we cannot love God if we are not showing that in the way that we treat others. Love is an action word. Love is self-giving. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus was moved with compassion, and we've had sermons on this before, when Jesus is moved with compassions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what happens? Divine action follows. Love leads us to treat others as God has treated us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul speaking to the church says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Folks, here's the point. In the life of a believer, of a Christian, of a child of God, love doesn't just mysteriously appear. All of a sudden, we just don't wake up and say, I want to love everybody today. I just can't wait to see my worst enemy. I'm even going to love my, my 
Just fill in the blank. My mother-in-law. I'm, I'm joking, all right? But folks, it's not something that mysteriously appears. Our loving others and loving God is an act of our wills. It means that as Christians, we choose to walk with the Lord. We choose to have an intimate relationship with Him and to obey His commandments. We choose. We choose. Every day our life is filled with choices. But as believers, we choose to obey God, to love God, and to be obedient to His commandments. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 21. Listen to this. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Folks, I've always struggled with these verses where it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. What does that mean? Listen to what the psalmist says in 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Folks, this is not partial love, but all of our being loving God. Heart, soul, might, the inner person, the totality of our being committed to God, we must choose to love God. And what is the greatest love of our lives? Self, pleasure, recognition, human urges, money, fill in the blank. What do we love most in life? Hear these words of Jesus in Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. The word love is such an outstanding word, isn't it? But, but you know this story that there were special love, words for love in the Bible. We use the same word. Listen, um, we'll say, I love whatever our hobby or sport or entertainment. There's nothing wrong with that. I personally love banana milkshakes from Cookout. I love my wife, my children, and my grandchildren. Which do I love the most? Is it the same type of love? When you and I say we love the Lord, it is something that is easy to say on Sunday mornings, but it's hard to do on the day-to-day basis, isn't it? It's hard to do when someone pushes your wrong button, isn't it? It's hard to do when you feel like you've been betrayed or lied to or somebody stuck you in the back with a knife. What order do we place these things in life? Who do we love the most? And so often it is self, isn't it? But God says to love him first. How much? Don't you love it when your grandchild says, I love you, and you say, how much? And they do that right there. Don't you just absolutely love that? How much does it thrill God's heart when we say, Father, I love you enough to give all of myself my heart, my mind, my body, everything to you. I'm, going, I'm getting ready to close, okay? How, do this apply, how does this apply to being a, grand, a parent and a grandparent? 
Well, let me ask you something. What's the first things that we try and teach our children as Christian parents and grandparents? That God loves them. Let me give you some examples. What's one of the first songs that you've taught your child or your grandchild? Jesus loves me. Amen. What's one of the first verses that you try and get your children to to understand? Being very personal, don't mean to be that way. Ella came and got in the recliner with me the other night. And she had one of the little Gideon Bibles that she had found. And she said, Granddaddy, read something out of this book. I ain't talking about me and I ain't talking about Ella. It's a great thrill for me to be able to read John 3.16 to her. One of the first things that our children are taught in the preschool, Sunday school, is what? God is love. Well, folks, if God has so much love for you and me and for our children, as parents and grandparents, do we teach them by our lives and by our example how to love God? They're looking at us. And we're taking this thing of loving God seriously. They're going to see that we do love God with all our hearts and our might and our minds. But do they see that? And God is speaking through Moses and telling these people, Look, show your sons and your sons' sons that I am first on your list. And if you do that, they'll follow in your footsteps. And they'll not be caught up in worshiping many different gods, even themselves. They'll worship the one true God. And I hate to bring this up one more time, but I want to do it. You remember this crowd that is listening to the words of Moses, many of them were not able to enter into the promised land. Why? They didn't love God. They weren't obedient to Him. Was God being mean to them? Absolutely not. God said, this is the way it is. This is what I expect out of you. And I remind you that even Moses himself did not enter the promised land. That doesn't mean they didn't go to heaven. But it meant that on this earth they did not fulfill the course that God had for them. Like the level that Corey was speaking about. They got out of plumb. Folks, these instructions from God, and I'll just tell you this, and I promise you I'm going to stop. Look how this is laid out. Fear God, hear God, love God, and then teach your children. And folks, there's a passage in Malachi that I'm going to reference next Sunday. And also in the Gospel of Luke, where John the Baptist... And the angel Gabriel in telling Zechariah, look, folks, this just came out of some Bible study. And it's the last place I was expecting to find anything about Deuteronomy chapter 6. As Gabriel tells Zechariah that Elizabeth is going to bear a son and that that son will be the forerunner of Christ, you know what he says? He will turn the father's hearts back to the children. 
At the end of the book of Malachi, one of the judgments on, that God passes down on his people, they have not taken seriously their responsibility to teach their children about God. Folks, our children are crying out for parents who will be godly parents and grandparents. Our children are crying out, please tell me the truth. Is it real that there is a God that created me and loved me and has a purpose and plan for my life? Is it real that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that He came so that I might know God in a personal way? You know, we can come to church and we can go through all the religious ritual, but until our children see it lived out in my life and in your life, they're not going to be convinced. And folks, one of the judgments of God on His own people were that they did not take this command serious. Folks, it's time, and especially for men, to stand up and say, I'll be different. I'll be Christ-like. And I'll set the example for my child. It's a challenge to us all. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for Your Word. And God, may we not be just hearers but may we be doers of your word. Lord, this morning as we sing together a hymn of invitation, Lord, we know that walking the aisle will not save anybody, but that believing in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior would lead us to publicly profess our faith in him. And so I pray this morning that perhaps there's someone who's heard the gospel many, many, many times, but not yet responded. I pray today they would, Lord, and they would be consumed by your amazing grace and washed in your blood and saved forever in the kingdom of God. And Lord, these are serious words to we who are parents and grandparents, not only men, but women also. God, help us to hear and to do. Help us, Lord, to fear you, to hear from you, to love you, and then to teach our children the truths of the Christian faith. Lord, even today, may we make new commitments to be found faithful in our responsibility as godly parents and grandparents. May your will be done in these moments of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn this morning is number 433, I Surrender All. That's what God is saying. Give me all of yourself and I'll use you. Let's stand so we sing.